you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight, a record day on Wall Street as stocks reach new heights. The Dean Evaluation will be here to tell you where you can still find value in this market. Plus, Tesla soaring as leaked emails has Elon Musk fans running back to the stock. We'll bring you the latest details. And it was... Powell Palooza on Wall Street today as the Fed chairman gave Wall Street what it wanted. The Dow soaring 200 points at the high, setting a fresh all-time high. S&P 500 doing the same, breaking through 3,000 five years after hitting 2,000. And the Nasdaq closing at a record high. For more on what Powell said and what we learned from today's Fed Minutes, our senior economics reporter Steve Leesmith is here in the on house. set. Cool in the gang. In the house. In the house. Cool in the gang. Um, what was the How am I supposed thing? to cover the Federal Reserve when you put up a graphic <laughs> like Powell Palooza? What's wrong with that? <laughs> it's like old school. It captures the sentiment. And you today. play the music. It's right. Okay. It's uh. There you go. I, I was doing that. We can, we them can to do play it, again. it throughout your whole hit. Like, I knew they would. If you go them in the control room, they'll take the bait every time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was Powell Palooza is not a bad way to characterize okay. it. Uh, he had every opportunity to push back against the market being pretty darn sure that there was going to be a rate cut. And instead of uh, pushing them back, he sort of said, come on, we're going to go more in, in terms of how, I don't mean more in terms of more rate cuts, but you can be more sure. He emphasized the negatives uh, and really downplayed the positives. What I thought was interesting also is that, you know, the markets really threw into doubt at least the 50 basis point cut later this month once we got the jobs report. But Powell actually said to have a hot jobs market, we need heat. So he sort of said to the markets, look through that strong number. I mean, that's the message he was that as I got. dovish about the job market as I've ever heard him and maybe as dovish as any Fed chairman I remember. Remember, 3.7 percent unemployment rate. You have 3.1 percent uh, uh, wage gains. Uh, all this talk about trouble finding workers. And I think the exact quote was, uh, if something is hot, there has to be heat. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, he doesn't see. Is he heat. talking about inflation, though, there, Steve? The heat the would lack be the thereof? inflation. Well, well, I think right. in the first order, it would be wage growth, really strong wage growth. And, and he makes a point, by the way, that Janet Yellen made as well, which is wage growth that has inflation plus productivity is not inflationary. So let's, let's, well, let's do the math. Two percent. Um, uh, inflation and call it one and a half percent or two percent uh, productivity growth means you could grow wages at four percent and a Fed official or chairman should not be concerned about the inflationary potential of that. So if he's not concerned about inflation right now and you have trade concerns on his mind and global growth is weakening, right? you sound like a skeptic. I, I don't think he should be cutting rates either. But he made the case where it's probably warranted. So at the first part of your comment to me, you told me the reason why he's OK doing this. Impolite it's point. OK. There's no down. There's very little downside <laughs> risk. Right. You have the low inflation um, and a quarter point onto the downside. I don't think is a big deal. But I want to just ask me the question. How dovish was was Powell? How, how dovish was Powell? You guys are great. OK, so how was it? Was it a Powell Palooza? Listen very carefully here to this question from Congressman Gonzalez. When, he, when, when Congressman Gonzalez asked him, are you going to lower rates? Listen. 
would it be fair to characterize, based on what we're seeing on those two factors specifically, uh, that a strong case could be made for lowering? So, um, yes, as, as I mentioned, um, uh, we think that um, uncertainty around, around trade policy and also global growth, it's not, it's not all down to trade policy. There's, right. there's uh, something going on with uh, growth around the world, particularly around manufacturing and investment and trade. Um, and so that uncertainty is, is we think, weighing on uh, the domestic economy. So I, I think he said yes to lowering rates. I'm not skeptical. I just would think, having covered Fed chair folks for a long time, mm-hmm. he would claw back a little flexibility, want to put a little doubt in the market. He was like, you know, full bar head. I'm not an economist. I'm not that smart. I've said it a million times. I just play one on TV. And you do a good job. Thank but I'll, 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 say, I'll say this. Um, Greatest economy in the history of mankind. Why slowdown to me is a natural part of the cycle. Why is the why are central banks globally, specifically our Fed, so frightened of one? I will not make this a long answer, but I will go back and tell you this. There is always a feeling about central banks. They can't pick their unemployment rate, but they can pick their inflation rate. It was the one thing the central banks thought they could do. And we're finding out they can't. And what's going on now is inflation around the world is not hitting the target. You should be able, as a central banker, to put enough money out there in the economy to create inflation. But there are massive forces going on that appear to be very difficult for them to do that. So I think if I had to make a list of stuff that why are they cutting, it would be continuously not hitting their inflation rate. It would be the global growth problem and and probably trade up there as well. There was an interesting aspect to this testimony by Powell, which was a clarion call to the President Trump to get this trade stuff out of the way. He kept coming back to the uncertainty created by trade. All right. Steve, thank you. My pleasure. This was great. Steve Lee, it was great, this palooza. All right, so can you jump on this Fed rally, or are the gains perhaps in question? Are they already priced in? Pete Nigerian, what do you say? I still think there's upside. I I think people are wanting reasons to be in this market, and they continue to find different reasons. And once again... If the Fed's going to do what they're going to do and people are searching for rates and everything else, I think we're going to continue to see people pile in towards the market. Does that mean it's the right thing? I'm not so sure about that. But I think the reaction is going to be people are going to be buying into the idea that this market can go higher. And I think you and I were down there earlier. I think Scott Miner was talking about the idea that, hey, 3,500 is not that far out of the question Mm -hmm. at this point in time. He actually said 3,500. We're talking about 3,000 today. So. Are we going to see those kind of numbers? I don't know if we get that high, Mel, but it feels to me like people are willing to jump into the market and have that exposure. Tim? Well, if you think about what moved today, it gives you reason to believe that maybe we can go higher. I mean, Amazon, right, again, I talked about this yesterday. Well, Amazon, it's there. It's at all-time highs. Uh, If you think about the triple Qs, they outperformed. If you think about the things that underperformed, it was transports, it was industrials, it was things that really haven't been performing. But when you tell me we've got a market where also I'll steal some of Pete's VIX thunder, I mean, if the VIX plunges by 7% today, that was almost one of the most important things you could get on a day like today, which is the Fed put is back and everything that gives you reasonable growth at a reasonable price is, is something that's going to continue to move. And that's what this trade is. I, I think, think, I I think say people, one more thing about this sure. volatility that Tim just brought up. Two We're more. already at the lower end. We're at the lower end of volatility. And yet we still went further. I mean, we got into the 12s on the lows today and the upper 12s, but still into the 12s. So, so, so you said people are piling into the market. I think people want a reason to be short the market. and Well, they have plenty of reasons to be short. It's just not working. So right. I think that's going to add to the upside potential. I do think we break above 3,000. 
incredibly. Well, you know, what's staggering is that when you read through the testimony, you hear Powell, he's basically outlining all the reasons why the economy is sort of on a thread. Or right. I don't, that maybe that's he added a few today, but, by the way, right, that weren't exactly. even there. Like the, the deficit, the, the, exactly, I mean, the deficit, right. leverage right. lending. I mean, these Brexit. Are new, so new all things. of these worries, he's just ticking off. Check, 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 and yet here we are. Markets to 3,500 right. all of a sudden. I mean, but the it's, VIX it's said crazy. closing at basically 13. To your point, yeah. you know, levels that have typically been warning signs. Listen, you can't deny the fact that the S&P goes up effectively every day. You know, I'm one of these people that tries to fight against it unsuccessfully, but I'll also try to point out things that are continue to be warning signs. Look, gold continues to move to the upside. Yes, it had a week off last week. Big move today. Small caps do not participate in this rally. I don't know what it means, but I think if the rally was broad-based, you'd have them there. And transports had a pretty miserable day today as well. The banks in Europe all of a sudden magically get better on the back of this? I don't think so. With all that said, the market is telling you, to Steve's point, and I think to Pete's point and Tim's point, it wants to go higher. The warning signs will matter. I thought they mattered 150 S&P handles ago. And that's the problem. Clearly they don't. That's right. the problem. Shorts, shorts got hurt, and now they have every reason to be short yet again. But the problem is every time you lay a short out there, you have to scramble to cover. The market's been up hundreds of handles in your face. Financials. Couldn't catch a bid today. It was interesting. You know, we had a 10-year auction today, too. Tough day for a 10-year auction when you've got Powell out there. You had European bond yields move higher. You actually saw the 10-year move higher. Um, uh, Ultimately, I I think the banks in the short run have digested the worst of the yield curve flattening, though. Uh, And if you look at financials over the last, really, since June, when we've had this rally, let's call this uh, the last six weeks, financials are underperforming the market slightly, but they're they're not a disaster. And and we've talked about their ability to give capital back to investors. I think the worst of the yield curve flattening is is probably behind us for now. They're cutting rates. That steepens the yield curve. Yeah. In the midst of all this, though, we saw consumer staples do well. Yes. A top performing sector in the yes. S&P 500. How do you read that in the midst of your well, calls for 3,500? On, on many of these different names, I think you, you still, pe- I don't necessarily always agree with it, but you still sure. see pe- people that are reaching for, for some kind of yield, right? I mean, and you look at a lot of these various names that are moving to the upside. They have great yield. So people are still looking for that. So there's a I hate the word defensive, but there's a defensive stance by some. Still. And then there's the aggressive side that are going after these tech names that they think aren't done. Tim mentioned Amazon. I'd say Netflix. I'd say Amazon. I'd say Facebook. I'd say Apple. I mean, people are still coming for those names. And the semis today, they were really, really active, had a nice day once again. You look at Micron, you look at some of these names moving to the upside. AMD, another very strong day. All right. Well, the S&P may have hit 3,000 today, but our next guest says don't get too used to these record highs. They won't last long. Let's bring in Scott Rand, Senior Global Equity Strategist at Wells Fargo. Scott, great to have you with us. Hi, Melissa. The market got exactly what it wanted. It why, did. Yeah. So, so why wouldn't there be upside here? Well, you know, for us, and I think I think we are, we, you know, we could be in the very early stages of some chasing here. And typically, when you're later in the cycle, you know, the chasing once it really kicks in, I mean, that takes you to the high. But in the intermediate term, you know, we've done the last couple of months, and I, I talked with you guys about this the last time I was on the show. Was you know, we've lightened up. We we have been leaning hard to, toward stocks for years. Uh, we backed up. We took a little money off the table. Uh, we put a little money in some short-term bonds, at least temporarily. We're willing to give up a little little upside here but but for us you know we think there's going to be a trade deal we think it's pretty far out into the future probably we think we're going to see some negative uh, trade headlines here in coming months so we're not convinced that you know it's up up and away um, but uh, but certainly the action the technicals uh, we're getting a little bit of chasing here and certainly it, it wouldn't surprise us if the market moved a little bit higher what do you think is the is the downside 
catalyst? What what is that major catalyst? Well, I, th- I think for the it's downside? trade. It's it's global it's growth and trade. You know, you got forty percent of the S and P revenues coming from uh, outside the country. You know, our concern um, has been has been global growth. Uh, the trade. Uh, frictions certainly play into that. So, you know, right now it seems to us that, you know, we have a sector lean on. In other words, you know, we're not completely neutral. We're in it. We like consumer discretionary and industrials and uh, technology, uh, uh, financials, those kinds of things. But, um, you know, in in the near term, it seems like good trade news a bunch of it's priced into the market, not all of it, but enough of it. Uh, it seems like right now you get some trade headlines and, you know, the market's going to trade down to that. Now, you know, of course, we've got the 200-day moving average, a uh, couple of hundred points in the S&P below here. So, you know, you've you got to give your position a little bit of time to breathe here because certainly we could trade down uh, on negative head, uh, trade headlines and still uh, be in an uptrend. Hey, Scott, it's Tim. So we're talking a lot of top-down. Give me the bottom up. We've got earnings starting next week. Uh, you said you've got a sector lean. Talked a little bit about some of the consumer names. Where do you expect maybe really just some upside uh, in a world where yeah, nobody's it, expecting guidance well, to be good? No, you know, I, I don't. Th- I, I don't think it will probably be Tim because you know there's none of these companies, especially these ones that are reliant upon trade and global growth. And, you know, these guys are not going to go out on a limb and say, "Hey, everything's great." They're going to be cautious. And so I think uh, the last time I looked, at consensus was you know down two, three percent, something like that, uh, year over year. We're at flat, which I mean, obviously that's a poor result too. But I think really the market, the market knows. First quarter earnings were, were going to be lousy. They know they know second quarter earnings earnings are going to be lousy. And really, I think when we look ahead, it's it's these macro issues. You know, we know the Fed is not going to tighten rates, so the Fed to some extent is on our side at least. Um, but it's this global growth story and it's this trade friction story, which you know, let's face it. Um, you know, we've had a lot of back and forth in trade negotiations. Um, we could certainly see some negatives before the positives. And, and right now for us, you know, after this big run, I mean, we're up 27% from the Christmas Eve low. Um, we thought taking a few chips off the table was probably a little prudent. Scott, always great to speak with you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Scott Rand, Wells Fargo. Pete, I toss it back to you. To sure. Scott's point, uh, can, the Fed, can the Fed... Uh, outweigh the impact of trade on S&P 500 earnings? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, th- it's a great question. I don't know that I have the answer. Isn't, I mean, the that, one th- isn't that the crux yeah, of, right, the, of, of everything, of, of a call yeah. to 3,500? Yeah. You have to believe. Yeah. And that wasn't my call, by the way. <laughs> okay. but, yeah. but to believe yeah. that the markets go higher. Right. Well, I would say this. It, it was interesting uh, because when you, when you really go through the testimony today, how many times did he use the word uncertainty? So I think More that's still... Right. And so... Because of that, I still think that's one of the biggest factors that are there. Now, is it a trading market? It continues to be a trading market. I think it's been a great trading market. Matter of fact, some of the stuff that I was putting on just yesterday, I was taking off today. I mean, that's how actively fast things are moving right now. So we've got a great trading environment right now. Investing-wise, I think it's a lot more difficult because some of these names... They are, they are pushing to the upside, and they do seem like the valuations are getting a little bit stretched. So it's essentially going to bring up trade. It's important. So let's, you know, the president, I'm not saying he's watching right now, although we know be. he watches. But he does time. watch this You know, show. record day for the market. Know. Exactly. He's watching. We want to say hi. With that said, <laughs> now he's got a dovish Fed in, in his back pocket, theoretically, a stock market at all-time highs. In his mind, I think, he says now he has some ammunition. He has leeway, too. To play hardball with the Chinese in terms of the trade. So I actually think this works to the opposite to get a trade deal done. It actually works to the detriment of a deal, which at a certain point, back to Although, Scott's point, is probably negative. 
we, we you know we got those comments on Huawei uh, two nights ago, which were on the you know the eve of, of Powell coming in there and giving some 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 more gas to the fire. So I agree with you, guy, because I, I I do think this is a case where um, there's a very delicate balancing act between your your political constituency. Fighting China right now is politically very popular. It's 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 bipartisan, um, and to that extent, showing going into a season that you've actually stood up to uh, the guy that people think globally is the biggest issue for this country is very important. That's not going to let up. All right. Coming up with stocks hitting record highs today, the Dean of Valuation is here to tell you where you can still find value in this market. Plus, Tesla shares revving up as a leaked internal email from the company sent shares soaring. We'll tell you what employees found that has so investors excited. And later, so no one told you life was going to be this way. Netflix was losing both friends and the office mm. as its rivals huh. strike back. We'll tell you what it means for the stock. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla seeing a spark today as a leaked email from CEO Elon Musk got the street excited. For all the details, let's head out to Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, we're actually down in Atlanta. We'll talk more about that in a little bit why we're down here. But the story about Tesla is one that can be told from anywhere. The leaked email was sent last night from the president of Tesla, Jerome Guillen. And while it didn't have any details, it had a couple of important points in there that the Tesla bulls definitely grabbed onto. First of all, he said in terms of production, they are preparing for an increase in production. Didn't give a time frame, didn't give any numbers in terms of how much production would go up. But he also said that the China plant, the one that's being built in Shanghai, they are making progress there, rapid progress. Remember, they've already said that by the end of the year, they expect to begin production there. So if you're a Tesla bull, you look at this e leaked email and you say, fantastic news. One reason why the stock moved higher today. But it has us thinking, we've seen a number of these leaked emails, Melissa, 10 going back to the end of March. What happens to the Tesla stock performance the day after those emails come out or the morning you know, if it's leaked in the morning, what happens that day? We're not going to show you all 10, but we pointed out a few of them here. Let's start first off. April 19th, there was an email that came out. was not terribly significant. There was no uh, big catalyst within it. There were no details. The stock was only up 2.29%. But two emails do stand up. One of them being on May 17th, Elon Musk sent out an email saying that they need hardcore cost cutting or they're going to run out of money in 10 months. Stock dropped down more than 7%. And then less than a week later, he came back and he said, look, we, we have a chance to have record deliveries in the second quarter. But by then, the trajectory was already going on Tesla shares, and that could not stop it from sliding another 6%. And then there was another email at the end of June uh, basically saying things are going well, improving. But again, no details. Stock didn't really react. Today, the stock was up, what, 3.85% as you take a look at shares intraday. And then if you look at this stock over the last three months, Melissa, we looked at the average volume. Only twice the day after one of these leaked emails did the volume exceed the daily average. That was on May 17th as well as May 22nd. Otherwise, 
yeah, the stock has moved a little bit, maybe up a percent or down a percent, but it hasn't been as dramatic a swing as some people might expect. So a conspiracy theorist, Phil, mm. might think that these so-called leaked emails were leaked on purpose because Elon Musk's hands are tied when it comes to tweeting things <laughs> yes. out as he did right. before. But based on, on your research of those 10 emails, it doesn't appear like it doesn't appear that that would be the case. It's not getting a huge reaction. Yeah. And basically, it comes down to this, Melissa. Our data team at CNBC, by the way, did a great job pulling all of these numbers for us. And essentially, it comes down to this. If the email has something substantial, either in terms of numbers or in terms of something that an investor can grab onto, like Elon Musk saying, look, we're going to run out of money in 10 months. These hardcore cost cuts are needed. That moves the stock. When it's something like, we're doing a great job, have a chance for a great quarter, things are going well, doesn't really move the stock. Right. It might make people feel better, mm -hmm. but it doesn't move the stock as much. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Atlanta mm -hmm. ahead of Delta's earnings and his interview with the CEO tomorrow on Squawk Box at 7 a.m. Thank you, Phil. Um, so what do you make of, of this well, I mean, whole the, thing? What I make out of everything, I feel Jeffrey's had a note out. They said China, the demand in China is up 40% year over year. That's actually a really encouraging thing. I don't know if it's real or not, but I mean, that's the numbers that are being reported. So what do I make of the whole thing? Well, I think we did a good job towards the bottom, Carterworth specifically, of pointing out an entry point for the stock on the long side. That happened in the 170s, so good job. I thought you absolutely needed to take profits at 225. That might still be right. But you look at it for the first time in a while, it seems to have broken out above a trend line. I still think there's significant downside risk here. But then you look at it today on the back of this news, you wonder, is it going to make that next run? I sort of favor the downside, but you got to sort of be encouraged, at least if you're bullish about what the stock Where is Where are done. you on your conviction meter in your short? My conviction hasn't changed. And, and, and so uh, you, you have to talk about good news when it comes out. The second quarter deliveries were good news. I, I think they were able to pull a lot forward. The fact that it sounds like there may be more momentum there, they are stu still below annualizing at 360 to 400. And it's really difficult to listen to anything this company says. I mean, two words. Funding secured, and, and you need to know all you need to know about And the stock about, is about down 28%. I mean, it's got a short interest of 31%. It's up 35% in 26 days. So tough for a short, but I am still in the shorts camp. So on June 4th, stock's trading 180. They bought 10,000 of the August 250 calls. Now look at those calls. With the stock trading at 230 on July 8th, they rolled up to the August 260 calls. I continue to hold on to those calls. I'm in the July calls right now. I haven't rolled August yet. But for now, I'm not long the stock, but I'm certainly long these calls, and I like what I'm seeing right now. Continue to look for upside right now in Tesla. All right, for more on Tesla's next move, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It is wonderful to be the center of attention. Enjoy it, Michael Scott, because Netflix is about to lose both The Office and Friends as the streaming wars heat up. We'll tell you what it means for the stock. Plus... Libra raises many serious concerns uh, regarding privacy, money laundering, consumer protection, and financial stability. Well, don't worry, Zuckerberg. The Winklevoss twins have some advice for you about getting into the crypto craze. There's much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Five years ago, the S&P 500 closed above 2,000 for the first time, and now it has finally reached its next milestone, the long-awaited 3,000 level. So what exactly got us here? Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break it down for us. Hey, Bob. I wish it was a broader rally, but it's not. What a difference five-year makes. So uh, the S&P has moved 50% less than five years. It was 2,000. August 26, 2014, 3,000 today, intraday. But the market's very different than it was in 2014. Investors have played favorites in a very big way. Big tech and fang names dominate the winners, including Amazon, Netflix, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple. These have become enormously influential. Also influential, semiconductors, dominant, big gains, NVIDIA, AMD, Broadcom. But there's an even broader trend in general. The biggest companies just keep getting bigger, and particularly the tech-themed companies. Visa and MasterCard, that's the fintech space, Cisco as well, but you get the idea, tech. There are a few outliers like United Health and Home Depot that have been uh, big outperformers that are not tech, but there's not many of them that really have moved the charts. Most consumer names, look at this, they're right in the middle of the pack. Remember, the S&P is up 50%. So Pfizer, Walmart, J&J, Procter & Gamble, Coke is towards the bottom. It's only up 25%, you see there. Not a lot of outperformance here. There's a few exceptions. J.P. Morgan and Bank of America have outperformed a little bit, but most of the banks have been notable underperformers. Then there's the outright losers, and there is two big groups that have dominated from 2,000 to 3,000 on the downside. First, energy stocks. No surprise. Remember, oil was 100 bucks five years ago. It's $60 today, even with the rally. The other big losing sector are retailers like Macy's. So what does it mean that a handful of big cap tech stocks have come to completely dominate the stock market? To me, it means technology is where the growth is. That's the story. Growth is really hard to find around the world. So everybody pays up anything they can for growth wherever they can find it. And Melissa, I wish the rally was broader, but that's the facts. Back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you. Bob Pisani, a disappointed Bob Pisani when it comes to the breadth of the rally. Does that disappoint you? No, because I think we all know that, first of all, a tech company looks different than what a tech company used to look like. Amazon is a retail company, but it's a tech company. So you have to buy these six names that he talks about, these four to six names or even eight names that he discusses here. Energy has done nothing. It's zero. But doesn't mean you can't make money or lose money day to day in that space. It's very volatile. All right, Pete. Yeah, I, I agree with Steve. And when I look at Amazon, that's the one name I've missed out on. I absolutely have missed out on it. And I think it's because I've always looked at it as more retail e-commerce. That's really not what they are. I mean, I've been fooling myself for too long. It's AWS. This is a cloud company when it really comes down to it. And because of it, yes, their tech, along with Microsoft, along with a lot of the names that I do like and I do follow and I still, still own those names, I still think there's upside. I think it's still too cheap in Facebook, in, in Apple, in some of these other names. I think there's plenty of upside because of all the verticals. We've gone over the big winners, but where can you find value with stocks sitting near records? For more on that, let's bring in the dean of valuation himself, Aswath Damodaran, finance professor at NYU's Stern School of Business. Professor, great to have you with us. Welcome back. 
good to be here. Given interest rates are already so low, does a, a Fed cut of 25 basis points, does that factor into your view of how the market is valued? Uh, I think the Fed obsession is a little strange to me because I think that, I mean, we've gone through waves of this Fed watching for the last decade. And looking back, I think it's, it's more smoke than, than any real effect. I, I think ultimately this is going to be about growth and earnings. And um, I think next the, the earnings reports coming out next week um, are going to matter a lot more than what the Fed actually does. In the short term, the Fed might have some effect, but if those earnings don't come in, then I don't think the Fed can do much to keep the market sustained. We were just talking about the big winners in this run from 2K to 3K in the S&P 500, and technology, hands down, is a big winner. A couple of names that you bought very recently are in technology, and some would say have very high valuations. Can you walk us through, for instance, uh, Tesla, which you bought four weeks ago at around 180 at this point? I think value ultimately cannot just come from looking at existing earnings. It's got to come from looking at future growth as well. And at the right price, I would buy some of these high-growth companies. I mean, my problem with Amazon is not that it's not a great company. I think it's an amazing company. It's a question whether you can pay the price you pay for Amazon right now and get value from the company. So I think the way to look at the tech companies is not to think in terms of P-E ratios or price-to-book ratios, but to look at what kind of value they can deliver given future growth, and to watch for the price at which they can become bargains. Because I think that even though they might look highly priced, they can still be cheap on a value basis if you can get them at the right price. Hey, Professor, but the key, I think, is to be patient and, and, and have the right timing. Professor, it's Tim Seymour. Uh, as you look around the world for value, um, yep. U.S. In a, in a heavy dominated Fed environment seems to have outperformed everybody. Is there any place that looks interesting? Because if the trend continues, U.S. valuations are going higher. European companies look cheap, but they deserve to be cheap. I think much of your, if, if you look at European companies, many of these companies are walking dead companies. They're companies in sectors with very little growth, where there's not much capacity to create value. So I think the U.S. is still where the value is going to come from, even though it might look expensive on a P.E. basis. I mean, I, I look at Asia, and Asia is actually much more expensive than the U.S. in terms of what you're paying for even earnings and growth. So I would pick uh, you know, U.S. companies over Indian or Chinese companies right now in terms of a purely value basis. I want to ask you about Boeing, Professor, and, and how you value Boeing when so much of its problems <coughs> is something that can't be put in a model, uh, the 737 MAX woes. Yeah. I think that ultimately, though, you've got to face the reality that there are only two companies in this space, Boeing and Airbus, and neither is going anyplace. So you're going to have the pain of something like the 737 MAX play out with both these companies. So I think if you want to hold Boeing, you've got to accept the fact that in the near term you're going to get some pain. But it might be a company that ultimately will be able to get around that pain and deliver the, the return. So. I know I would not be worried about investing in Boeing long term, but I'd be worried about trading Boeing short term. Are you invested in Boeing right now? Yes. Okay. Professor, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Aswath Damodaran of NYU Stern School of Business. Grasso, do you like any of the professor's picks, which also includes NVIDIA, which he bought uh, at one four years? So I think you have to like NVIDIA. NVIDIA, Internet of Things. And obviously they were, they were hit with that brush of the Bitcoin uh, production cycle. So that has kind of waned off a bit. I think if you want to be there, the connected home, the connected car, the connected office spaces, I think you have to be there. But I do also believe the Fed has a bunch of bullets left. 
Earnings aren't going to matter for quite some time. And when the Fed's out of bullets, guess what they can do again? QE after they reverse QT. So you'd be silly to actually short this market right now. Maybe it is 3,500. AMD is a name. I, you know, I know we've talked about it for a while, but this is a stock that now has basically doubled since the beginning of this year. It's had a huge run. I mention it because it's up against levels that we last saw in September of 2018. So I think the AMD run can continue on, to be clear, but you also be aware that we could potentially have a pretty major top here. So to take some money off the table in AMD now makes some sense to me, Mel. When you say QE, you're just meaning a, an easing cycle, there a could rate be, easing cycle. No, no, I, I'm, saying that, I'm saying that you, I, like I heard him today crisis. when he was talking to a congresswoman uh-huh. when she said, what happens during the next downturn? Okay. of the economy. What would you be willing to do when you're out of bullets? And he said we can still use the balance sheet when we're out okay. of bullets. Yeah, it, look, a couple of things that are winding in themes of earlier tonight. So first of all, uh, Bob Pisani just talked about how tech had really outperformed. If you think about the companies that are doing it a little bit, it, it, and Pete referenced AWS as opposed to Amazon being re- Software over hardware clearly will continue to work in this environment. I, I would argue that, uh, you know, Europe with all these walking dead companies, one of the reasons why Europe has underperformed massively is there are no tech plays in Europe. If you think about it, if you're buying the decks, right? if you're buying the decks, you're buying industrial companies, you're buying, you're buying banks, you're buying, you're not buying anything high growth, and that's weighting those indices down um, structurally. It's never going to change. Still ahead, tipping the Libra scales. Bitcoin soaring more than 30% since Mark Zuckerberg announced Facebook's own cryptocurrency and former frenemies. Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss Mm. (laughs) have some advice for the CEO. We're bringing you those comments. Plus, Netflix losing legacy shows, Friends and The Office from its lineup. And one top analyst says that could mean big trouble for the streaming giant. Those details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Netflix hanging in there today despite Rosenblatt issuing a warning to investors after the streaming service lost beloved series Friends and The Office. The note saying, quote, as more streaming services launch, Netflix is going to continue to lose its highest quality licensed content, making the success of their own content increasingly important. The note pointed out that Friends and The Office accounted for 5% of all streaming hours in 2018. And big names like AT&T, Disney and NBC are entering the fray in an already saturated streaming market. So as Netflix's biggest rivals strike back, can it keep the momentum going, Pete. I think they can because that mode is just that big. And this is not something they haven't been focused on for a long time. They've been focusing on content, not just here, but internationally. And we talk about the international expansion that they've been going through. That has absolutely taken over. I mean, they have really done an unbelievable job there. So I think as that moat gets a little bit bigger, Mel, it makes it that much more difficult. Now, there will be content they're going to lose, obviously, over time. We already know that they're going to, you know, Disney and everybody else is moving around and shifting things around. But Netflix has done a great job. I've talked to a lot of my friends who live out in Hollywood who talk about, hey, look, we love working for Netflix. We love working for Amazon. We love working for these various. So the competition is there. But if they can develop that content at Netflix, that's going to be the winner for it. I mean, the issue here is, is whether or not subscribers will actually churn away from the service, because it's all about the subscriber numbers at the yes. end of the day, right? Especially yes. in the U.S. where it's a very mature market. Um, and if there isn't a new season of Orange is a New Blackout or Stranger Things right now, I might switch to another streaming service because you don't have the, the office or friends to sort of put on default Wait, and I, fill my look, time with. As a guy that has not been bullish on Netflix and thinks that there is an enormous amount of competition and doesn't understand the valuation, I will say that this isn't, uh, this isn't a crisis moment for Netflix. I mean, if it was 1996 and they lost friends, it might be. But think about when Disney said, we're going off and streaming, we're going to take all this content by 2019, 2020. That was a big moment. That was a moment to test whether Netflix really was a content play or, or just a portal. Um, and, and while I 
am critical of, uh, I, I think it's dubious to say that they can compete in content with the biggest players in the world. They so far seem to be. Aren't they gonna, just going to hold a basket full of these? I, I mean, are, do you, How re- many you, you were playing devils. You? But oh. we'll, well, think about it. If, if you're spending X on your cable per month, what, what are you spending on cable? I, I, I spent an egregious amount of money on cable yeah. because I have four kids. So it's 300 bucks on cable. The average person is probably paying 80 to 100 bucks, But they haven't even cut the cord yet on cable. Once they cut the cord, you're going to have 10 of these streaming so events. So the real losers are the cable companies? The cable companies. Well, guys, you're going to hold Netflix. As long as you can get Sunny and Cher reruns, I mean, I would imagine you're good. <laughs> well, I thought it right? was like, welcome back home. Laugh, laugh, you the laugh track? I, love the I got you, babe. Yeah, love it. First of all, that was a great show, number one. Wasn't that oh, great? Red actually. Fox show, outstanding. Red Fox. But Osmonds, I'm sort of, I'm in the, Osmonds, sure. I'm in no, the peep camp. Sanford and Son, not Red. The Red, Red Fox show. had his own show. Oh, he, he did. did. You he might did. not. Yeah, he had a oh, Vegas show that. too. <laughs> Family show. Anyway, Blue. Hogan's Heroes. I think Netflix goes higher. They report on July 17th. They've had so many bullets shot at them. They're Teflon. I think it makes a push to 411, the high we saw, I believe, in July 2018. Hogan's Heroes. I did say Hogan's Heroes. I love Hogan's Heroes. Coming up. The Winklevoss twins giving their old friend Mark Zuckerberg some advice on how they are navigating the crypto craze as the Fed has some concerns about Facebook's Libra launch. We'll hear from them next. Plus, oil jumping today, now on its longest winning streak since February. We'll tell you how to play the move. Much more Fast Money right after this. Libra raises many serious concerns uh, regarding privacy, money laundering, consumer protection, and financial stability. Uh, These are concerns that should be thoroughly and publicly addressed before proceeding. And that's why at the Fed we've set up a working group uh, to focus on on this set of issues. We are coordinating with our our colleagues in the government, in the United States, the the regulatory agencies and Treasury. We're coordinating with central banks and governments around the world to, to look into this. That was Fed Chair Powell on Capitol Hill t- earlier today speaking out on Facebook's new Libra coin offering as concerns surrounding the regulation of the cryptocurrency heat up. Our own Seema Modi sat down with the Winklevoss twins, founders of the Gemini crypto trading platform, on how the Libra coin could shake up the rest of the cryptocurrency market. Seema joins us here on set. Hi, Seema. Hi, Melissa. As we know, the Winklevoss twins famously sued Mark Zuckerberg, claiming he stole their idea for Facebook in the early 2000s. Despite that history, while speaking with the two last night, they said they are optimistic about the social media giant's crypto project, Libra, and its impact on the broader industry. It's very positive for crypto. Um, A company, the stature of Facebook, actually talking about crypto demystifies the word. It makes people feel a lot more comfortable. And our prediction is that every FANG company will have some sort of crypto project within the next two years. I also asked the Winklevoss, both early crypto investors, what advice they would offer Zuckerberg and his Facebook team as they prepare to face off with regulators on Capitol Hill. Work with regulators, talk with them. You know, we, we, um, we definitely went through the front door um, and we tried to educate the regulators and help shape the regulation in a thoughtful manner. Because if you get the regulation wrong, it can stifle innovation, but the right regulation um, allows innovation to to flourish, and we think we've achieved that right balance with with New York. So, um, the healthiest markets in the world are thoughtfully regulated. So, um, we're fans of thoughtful regulation. But achieving that level of trust is not easy, and that's why Melissa Libra's success is certainly not guaranteed. What do they think of the actual coin? Because it's simply backed by a basket of currencies. It's not a true cryptocurrency as Bitcoin 
uh, is. Yeah, it's interesting. They actually launched their own stable coin, Gemini Dollar, back in September of 2018 that is backed by just the U.S. dollar. So it's pegged to the U.S. dollar versus Libra, which is backed by a number of different securities, including the dollar, the euro, other um, stable security. So they think this has uh, a lot of room to run and great potential, especially given Facebook's 2 billion active users. All right. Seema, thank you. Seema yeah. Modi with the latest on that. Okay, yes. so we saw Bitcoin. Well, I don't know. I, I looked at you, but... Why? I mean, I'm an easy one to look at, easy on Bitcoin the eyes. North <laughs> 13K. It was a north of 13K, but the bug says below 12K. Yeah. What do you think of the chart? Well, I think the chart's fine, actually. I mean, we've talked about this for a while. I think the move has been good. You don't want it to explode through 15,000 and head back to the all-time highs. I think you want it to go to 14, 15, back and fill down to 11, and then make the next move higher. So if this was a stock, we play that game all the time. I think it sets up really well. In terms of Facebook, very quickly, mm -hmm. you know, we, we get a lot wrong. We got this one right. You know, back on June 3rd, trades down to 164 perfect 50% retracement of the entire move that we've seen over the last year or so. We said it sets up to take out all new highs. And I've said this many times. I don't want to like Facebook for a myriad of reasons. But you have to be true to yourself. And the stock sets up well into earnings, probably just that all-time high we saw a year and a half in ago. In terms of that recent run, though, off of Libra coin, I think is a lot of it a is reason in the back to of that? like Facebook? Well, from what we've heard from the analysts, it's not. Um, even though it, it gives the prospect of a new earnings stream, if anything, it certainly diverts attention off of some of their, their security issues and the regulatory dynamics that are coming at them from other places where they're too big to fail. But I, I think ultimately, as we've talked about on this desk, with Facebook, one of the benefits they have is actually more regulation is going to make it a lot harder for anyone to get close to their critical mass and their footprint anytime. Still ahead, energy lighting up today is the best performing sector, and one trader just made a, a $2 million bet that the rally is about to surge even higher. That is coming up. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil surging 4% today as U.S. stockpiles drop by nearly 10 million barrels or triple what was expected. That's not the only thing driving prices higher. A tropical storm brewing in the Gulf Coast that meteorologists think could become a hurricane is already causing major flooding in New Orleans today. One third of oil production in the Gulf has already been shut down and the storm could wreak even more havoc on rigs and refineries as it continues to move west into Texas. With oil jumping back above 60 bucks a barrel, one trader just bet more than $2 million that energy stocks are about to surge higher. Mike's in San Francisco with the options action. Mike, what are you looking at? Yeah, so we were looking at XLE, the energy ETF. So it was interesting today. We saw well above average options volume. Most of that was a result of a single trade. Somebody traded 10,000 December 55, 64, 75 call spread risk reversals. So what did they do? They sold 10,000 of the 55 puts, bought 10,000 of the 64 strike calls, and then sold another 10,000 of the 75 strike calls, net net spending $2.25 a share times the 100 multiplier times 10,000 contract. That's how you got to that $2.25 million in premium outlay. And this is a good trade to take a look at because if you're looking at it, one of the things you'll notice is that the 55 puts that they sold very close to those December 18 lows and the 75 strike calls that they sold. Also, not far off of the 77 and change highs that we saw in the XLE over the course of the past year. So this basically is giving this trader exposure above the current level. So basically from three and a half up to about 17% appreciation in XLE without facing all of the downside risk if it actually was going to go down and approach those December 2018 lows. And one of the other reasons you look at spreads like this is unlike SPY, XLE options are about 40% more expensive. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Steve Grasso, what'd you make of all the moves? So when you look at it, I'm looking at a screen year to date, 
XLE is up 12%. One year back, it's down 14%. Five years, I said it was flat. I was wrong. It's down 6%. So you can't invest in these longer term. Despite what those DOE numbers were today, we are in oversupply of oil. Ultimately, the macro, we are going lower in oil. You couldn't have scripted a more bullish scenario with everything, with the backdrop from the storm, from Iran, from Venezuela, to everything with, uh, for the price of oil, and it still hasn't been able to breach those old-time highs. Your Devon Energy had a nice uh, pop today. We, did a, we do a thing at the smart board over there where we power pitch. Power, power pitch. Power pitch it. And we it's got actually a fast pitch. 75, Thank 25. The, Thank you, Peanut. The more you know. See, that's what we did. And I like that. It had a nice day today, and I think it rallies in earnings. And I'll take the other side of Stephen. He's been right. But I think energy sets up pretty well here, especially if central banks are going to put a blowtorch to their respective currencies. Pete wasn't here the day you yeah, didn't go very well. Didn't go very well. Calls I own calls in Devin. So I own calls in Devin right now. And one of the names that I power pitched, fast pitched, actually, KMI, Kinder Morgan. All Richard Kinder does is continue to buy back his stock. Take a look at that stock. It's pushing right on its 52-week highs once again. I think this is a name that can continue on its way to the upside. And in the meantime, you're getting a great dividend yield. All right. Options Action, full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Pete. I'm giving you a trifecta tonight, Mel. Giddy oh, up. We're doing Micron. We're doing AMD. What? We're doing WDC. I'm telling you, these all hit today with unusual option activity. I had to buy in. I bought all three. Giddy up. I don't know if that's value for your money or just being just, just put it across the board. Money. Money. No one's ever no one's given ever three that. final trades Damn. at once. I'm going to give you one. Amazon, it's fresh all-time highs, underperforming uh, the last six months. Take it now. Grasso. You know what has no impact with trade or anything that's going on? Match.com. Match. Match. match is match game. Match group. Oh, match. Oh, sorry. Whoa. It's up 71% year to date. If you want to hold back, wait till it breaches 75 the old time. You on match? Use Nelson that as support. Got you on match? I was going to say, it seems like Steve knows an awful lot about that. Final trade. Four industries. Oh, interesting. For a number of different reasons, there, Melissa. <laughs> Noah Synagogue. Right. Four. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. It's okay to look. I'm great with a better guy, actually. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.